Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. (laughs) Well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Tom and Mindy, welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. So glad to have you guys on with me today. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. I'm really used to when we record one of these podcast episodes, there's one couple and then one other individual on the other side, but I don't think we've ever done it with this scenario where I'm the individual. Sherry is not here with me today. She is with our daughter visiting in Minnesota before our daughter starts another semester of college. And uh, so I'm the solo person. And for, I think, I'd have to look back, but I'm pretty sure this is only the second time in our podcast history that we have interviewed a couple. And you guys are that couple. So I'm really excited to have you here with us. Thanks for being here. The... um the we have had situations where we interviewed both spouses individually with like months separating um but but having two people on together is a real it's a real joy for me because of what was going on when we first met versus the fact that you guys are sitting on the couch together right now smiling and looking great um so if you guys don't mind, let's back up and, and start there. Let's start with when we first met. It was not quite a year ago, but roughly a year ago. I think the fall of last year, right? Mm-hmm. And refresh my memory, Mindy, um, we met you first, right? Right. Um, what, what caused you to, to kind of reach out and find us? So... Um... I had left our home uh, because of the relapse cycle and no matter how educated I was, um, I wasn't handling it well. Um, It wasn't healthy for either one of us. And I actually don't recall how I stumbled upon that other than digging and digging on the internet about do marriages survive alcoholism and what does that look like and I actually think I stumbled upon you on medium first and then I found your web page and I think I actually sent it to Tom first and said I really think you should check this guy out because you know that's what <laughs> we do we research and try to help our spouse um, whether they want that help or not at the time and you know I listened to a couple of your podcasts and I thought oh my gosh like everybody's story is the same as mine. And I had gone to smart recovery while Tom was in rehab. You know, I was around other spouses and um, it just wasn't as open and as honest as what I was hearing in your podcast, especially to hear Sherry talk. I was, and the fact that you guys were still together. Um, it gave me hope despite the fact that I couldn't even live at home in that moment. So now, if I remember correctly, when you say you, you were not living at home, it was a, it was kind of a temporary situation that you were in. You were just kind of crashing with a friend who was, was really empathetic and a good listener and, and very supportive. Right. But it, it wasn't like you had gone out and gotten your own apartment and made an, an official separation at that point. Right. I I just, I had a friend with a spare bedroom who said, you can come stay as long as you want. Um, She's right here in the same town as us. Um, So that's what I did. (laughs) One of of the things I remember from those initial conversations with you, when you were, when you joined our Echoes of Recovery group and, and we would be in these video calls with lots of people on the calls, but which it, it's funny to me that I remember this specifically. So it must have been impactful for some reason. I remember that you were, you had a lot of anger at that point and, and, you know, frustration and you didn't know how it was going to turn out. You didn't know what the right next move was. And, but, but you were expressing that anger. And I, I've got to think that having a place to let that out must have, must have felt pretty good. Is there, am I putting words in your mouth? Yeah, I definitely was very angry. Um, for the reason, 
I couldn't stay in the house with him. My anger was not going to help the situation at all. No matter how much I could tell myself, oh, don't react. Oh, it didn't matter. I, I would instantly go back to the old habits of fighting, saying mean things. I just couldn't control it. Um, being at my friend's house, she's a judgment-free zone. She's known Tom and I forever. She knows him. Um, I could say whatever I want there. And she just listened. She was never going to judge and say, oh my gosh, she's the worst guy in the world. Why are you still there? You know, she was really judgment-free and she's still rooting for us today. You know, if we didn't work, she'd still be rooting for me. You know, it didn't matter what my choice was. I could just vent, say anything I wanted. I could sleep all day if I wanted to and not come out of the room. Um, she didn't care. So. I think you make, I think you make a really good point. You know, we, we meet people all the time that they learn these, these, these words, mostly from Al-Anon. We use them in our, our work as well, but like things like boundaries and detachment. And then when they do engage, when you, when you're in it, right. When you're in the middle of a relapse, for instance, and things get heated and you get sucked back into the argument, they, you know, people tend to feel so badly about themselves because they're, oh, I'm supposed to, you know, follow my boundaries and I'm supposed to detach with love. And, and I love that, you know, you own the fact that, that, yeah, sometimes you would get sucked back in and, and that's, it's part of the process. And you had to, you had to find a way to get healthy, but, but that that was not something that, you know, you can't, you just can't beat yourself up about, you're in this relationship with someone you love and you get, you know, you start arguing again and things get heated. That's, that's unfortunately just part of how it works. But I think, I think it's great that you had that, that friend and that place to go, um, you know, might be a big contributing factor in why things are back on track now. And you guys are sitting here talking to me, Tom, when, when I, when I first met you, so basically you you found us you found the child sobriety program um through mindy pointing you that direction talk a little bit about the things that you had tried up to that point and kind of you know what was working for you and what wasn't yeah uh there was there were probably more things that uh that didn't work uh matt uh you know probably uh, my mind w w was impaired. I, I, I wasn't in a healthy place. Um, sure. And uh, I was in, uh, and without being a, a victim or a martyr, I, I was in isolation. But, but in reality, I, I really wasn't. I, I still had uh, resources available to me uh, that, that I just clearly just wasn't uh, using. It was, and it was a, a pattern of, of uh, shame and just a... Uh, circular arguing between Mindy and I, uh, you know, if I would have moments where I would lapse after her and I had a discussion of, um, you know, some of her, her friends within, uh, within Echoes and some of their stories. And um, I, I thought hearing some of those stories would kind of give me uh, a, a pass, if you will, um, you know, uh, well, I, you know, I'm not as bad as them, or I'd go to an AA meeting and you know, clearly I'm not as bad as those guys, I guess, uh, or I would say uh, and try to sell that uh, and try to believe it. And it was just um, uh, so the, the biggest thing, and we can talk about it for sure with me, the, the biggest part of, of the drinking was the stress, the anxiety, and just the self-medicating to just try to sleep. The only thing that uh, uh, would work as far as uh, some of the uh, trying to get to sleep was, was a hydroxyzine reading reading stories of people that did uh come out on the other end um and then uh uh j just some breathing techniques to get over some of the anxiety because mindy's gone i'm here kids are gone um and and it was just a, a high stressful uh environment that that i was in that i had kind of created and i couldn't get out of that cycle of um just self-doubt uh, self-loathing self-shame whatever you want to call it um, th that I was uh, experiencing and uh, at the same time, you know, experiencing uh, by, by myself because Mindy wasn't in a healthy enough place, uh, you know, to listen um, and to try to rationalize things. And then the thing that we talked about a couple of times within Shout, uh, Matt, I would 
I couldn't string together enough days um, to even remotely think about being healthy. I would go through that. I got three days in and uh, then I would miraculously uh, find another way to uh, drink more beer. Uh, and um, what was almost really sad is I'm here uh, at the house by myself and yet I still would find myself hiding uh, beers in the basement. It was just, it was just a, such a destructive uh, pattern uh, that I was in that I couldn't get myself out of. And I kept repeating the three days, the four days, the seven days. Wow, I got seven days in and, and then trying to uh, do uh, all of this, this sobriety, this journey, uh, all of the, uh, all the while I was trying to do it, uh, for, you know, for, for the sake of Mindy, for the sake of our children. Um, and never once thought, you know, I have to do this for myself um, until later. Until I was on one of the calls and you said, man, uh, you're going to have um, a great deal of, uh, you might have some success, but odds are uh, you're going to have more repeats uh, of that same pattern uh, unless you do this uh, for yourself. So there are moments where things work, but there are more, unfortunately, Matt, more moments uh, that just didn't work. Well, you just said four really, really important things. And I think any of our longtime listeners know I can only remember two things. So that is going to be hard, but let's try to talk through them. One of them that I think is really interesting, and I just want to highlight it, is the comparison thing. Man, did I do a lot of that. I am not the gutter drunk. Um, I don't, I mostly don't drink in the morning. I mean, there, there are those mimosas on Christmas, but uh, for the most part, I don't drink in the morning. And, um, you know, I know people that are worse off than I am. So uh, I can't be an alcoholic. And so, like you mentioned, you go to a meeting and you see, you hear the rock bottom stories and you're like, well, that's not me. So right. I, I'm, I'm not there yet. I must still be able to drink. And it just puts that little nugget of doubt in your mind that you can, you know, when you're feeling good and when you're feeling strong and when you, when you are confident that sobriety is the right path, you can push that nugget away. But when you're feeling weak and you're like, you know, God, a beer would just taste so good right now. That's when that comparison comes out and you go, oh, um, I can I can still drink. So I'm, I'm really, really glad that you brought that into the conversation. Um, another uh, of the things that you just mentioned that I think is really interesting is um, I, I want to get your perspective on. So you were home alone. Mindy was staying with the friend. The kids are gone at the time that feels lonely, that feels unsupported. It, at least it would to me, I would feel like my wife is deserting me. This in the time I most need her, she's deserting me. I can't believe she's doing this to me. But now looking back, I, I mean, I feel like when Sherry detached from me, that was incredibly important to me making it over the hump to permanent sobriety. Cause I realized, Oh, she's serious. And this relationship, this marriage is going to end if I keep going. And as much as what you said there at the end is true, that we've got to do it for ourselves, we can't do it for somebody else. My marriage was important to me. And so realizing that it was that serious was really helpful to me to finding sobriety. As painful as it was to be in the house by yourself then, do you look at that now as one of the things that you know, I know there's more chapters to the story before you guys got to a successful place, but looking back, was there any uh, motivation there in, in the fact that she was gone to, to getting you where you eventually got to? If there was emotion, it was, uh, it was some fear uh, that I had uh, maybe perhaps uh, crossed uh, that uh, invisible line, uh, the, the, the point of, of no return uh, that it had gotten so bad between the two of us, um, that this might perhaps be the thing that uh, is just, uh, we can't reconcile uh, past this, past the, the hurt, not just for um, for me uh, being here by myself, um, but you know, the hurt that I had um, inflicted on uh, Mindy and then clearly, of course, the kids. And then I would kind of, um, the kids and I were, were always close and I thought, my God, I've given my entire life to them and to this family. And, and uh, so there was a, some, some hurt uh, and then probably more so than anything, there was fear that God, what happens if, uh, well, if this is it, uh, how do we, how do, how do I, how do I pick up the pieces from, from this? And, and I didn't, 
and I didn't mean for this to have happened. So there was a lot of that emotion was 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 just not anger because I was never angry or upset. I was more mad uh, at myself that I wasn't yeah. strong enough, um, and I wasn't able to use the tools and resources that I had available to me. Um, so that was probably the big thing: is, is anger uh, and resentment towards myself, uh, and again that pattern of just you know some more self-destructive thought processes, um, and then fear. Did, did you reach a point, you mentioned exact same as my situation. We have so much in common. I, I forgot to mention this earlier, Mindy, when you were, when you were talking about how you would get angry, you and Sherry have kind of joked around that you are both a different kind of nice, which we all laugh when we say that, but wow. you guys are just so similar and you're both spark plugs and you can, you can get fired up pretty, pretty easily, which is, I, I think Tom would agree. That's one of the things that we love about you. Um, but there are so many similarities to our stories and Tom, one of them, you, you mentioned depression and anxiety and then self-medicating with alcohol. Did you, like I did, did you reach kind of a light bulb moment at some point? Maybe it was from something you read or, or, um, a conversation you had. Did you realize having not previously realized that, that alcohol was both the really temporary relief from the depression and anxiety but it was also a major cause of the depression and anxiety. Did you get to a point where you're like, oh my God, the drinking is causing all this pain? Yeah, yeah, I really did, um, I, definitely. And, and one of the things was, uh, if there is a high stress uh, anxiety work moment, uh, Matt, and uh, I hate to say, I hate to admit it, but in 100% transparency, I would go uh, slam a beer to try to get through that moment, that exact moment. Um, Matt, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a, a doctor, uh, or a nutritionist. I don't know all the answers. I do know this, that, uh, the amount of time it took me to slam that 16 ounce beer, uh, and, and for it to go through my bloodstream and actually calm me down was almost just impossible. Uh, and whatever I was doing, which was drinking, uh, I did, there was a, a watershed moment where it, it's not working as make it, it's not working. In fact, it's making it worse. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I don't remember the specific moment or anything, but but much like you, I remember realizing, oh my God, this is supposed to be my solution. And it's, uh, it's uh, pouring gasoline on a fire. And that's such an important realization for us to come to, because we get to the point where the only thing that can get us through the anxiety is the alcohol, all the other tools aren't working. And then we've got to really, when we realize drinking to get over that isn't working, then we got a tough slog. Um, the beginning of sobriety and recovery. Right. So, okay. So I, I met both of you and, but the, the relapse cycle continued. Mindy, I think you moved back in or, or you kind of were back and forth from staying with the friend, right? Um, so it went on all fall. I was back for like two weeks and would leave again. And yeah, it went until January of this year. And Tom, you talked about it a little bit, but, but your thing, which is again, very, very common. You were, you know, you would hide beers in the basement. That would be your kind of go-to when it would, when the, the lapse would happen. Um, so to talk a little bit, you know, both of you, either of you about what this, so the holidays, the holidays were rough this year. Yeah. This past year. Um, just talk us through kind of the end of the drinking before um, and then what you did, uh, you know, to kind of put an end to the relapse cycle. Well, you know, I mean, I continued to stay away, you know, when it would show up and, you know, we had had a family meeting the kids and I with him telling what our expectations were for Christmas and, you know, within 48 hours, that trust had been broken. So at that point, and, and I do credit that I had the kids support, we were aligned um, to say, as hard as it is to say, um, you can't spend Christmas with us. Um, no matter how low our low had gone, that's gonna be one of the biggest lows that we had to go that far. Um, 
despite that, we had a peaceful Christmas because there weren't any fears. Um, but that was not the vision I had of my life and my children's lives, even though they are all young adults. Um, and in a moment of clarity, he agreed to get an apartment because I kept telling him, you are taking our family home. I need to be there, not you, because you aren't giving us a family right now. You have taken our home from our children. Granted, they could come, but they weren't coming very often or speaking to him very often. And I kept reminding him, this is their home. What you're doing is selfish. They need their home back. I need to be there so they can have their home spot. Um, we had a rough Thanksgiving as well. And we thought we weren't going to have Thanksgiving. Um, and we sucked it up and we pulled it together and did it. But in that moment of clarity, he found an apartment and agreed to do that. Um, it was bumpy until he got there. Still, we had good weeks and bad weeks. Um, but that sacrifice that he finally said, okay, I'll do it. Um, that was huge. And, you know, over the spring, as we, as I was back home and two of our children actually moved home for a temporary stint, you know, I, I think he started, I, he always knew this was their home, but I think he saw that what we were doing was the best for our family. And I always like to say, because I took it from, <laughs> this is us, I reminded him, a family doesn't have to be a square, it can be a triangle, which is actually a stronger support structure. And it doesn't matter what the mold looks like or what it should be. What matters is if everybody's home is safe and happy. And that's what we're trying to get to is this is our safe bubble in this scary world. I've always wanted my home to be that corner where I could shut out the world and not hear all the terrible news or deal with the public. And that was being taken from me and our children. Well, I, I just absolutely love that you pushed for that and pushed for what you knew to be right. I feel like had you not made the move that you made to stay with your friend, um, you know, I, I, I feel like that was, uh, probably just as an outside observer, right. As someone looking in on the situation that inspired, uh, in both of you, the belief that you can live apart and that that might be necessary right now. I feel like that was important, an important component in, um, Tom getting the, the apartment, Tom, I, we got to hear from you, man. I mean, I got to tell you, I, so many of these situations as the drinker, we are absolutely refused to leave the house. I did. I absolutely refused. We absolutely refused to leave the house. We look at our spouse as our one and only support system. The one and only person who understands this is a nurturing human being and I'm going to lay it all on them. I'm going to pour every, all the negative emotions on them. And then in the next moment, when I am drinking, I'm going to, rip into them. So the cycle is just awful. I'm either a sobbing puddle or I'm angry and screaming. Um, and I'm going to lay this all on them, but I am not leaving this house under any circumstances. I pay the mortgage, you know, all, all those, you know, till death do us part, all the bullshit lines. So I join Mindy in giving you a ton of credit for that, that moment of clarity. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you? realizing that this was the right move. Um, yeah, just, just tell us what you were thinking, man. What was that like? Well, you know, initially, Matt, uh, and with, with, with the greatest respect for, for what you started, I, I, I won't use foul language, but I was in what was a uh, disaster of, of a motel and in a, in a, in a, in a frightening, frightening place. And, and Matt, that clarity came from uh, me uh, sitting there uh, in judgment of those other people that had told their stories and were vulnerable that I said, I'll never be them. Uh, well, I'm not sure 
uh, a, a lonely uh, a fl a flea bag of a motel on Christmas Eve and Christmas um, morning uh, without my uh, beloved family uh, was, was enough to say, I can't uh, keep uh, doing this. I have to, um, I have to work. Uh, I have to um, let everyone know this just can't be uh, uh, something that Tom and Mindy uh, work through uh, with our kids. Um, my, my immediate family uh, knew of what was going on. They were supportive of me, um, but, but that was about it. And then uh, outside of the rehab and those guys, uh, but, I, but I had to, um, I had to, I, I, I didn't have a, I, I guess I could have had a choice, but, but I didn't. I, I, in fact, without being cliche, I, I chose us, but I chose to uh, get better, to get healthy uh, for myself. In the, um, what would have been uh, for me a, a very sad ending uh, to a great story, I had to come to that fact of what if we don't um, pick up the pieces? Didn't matter um, if, if I keep going down this destructive pattern, um, I'll, I'll just be a, a lonely uh, uh, statistic, and, and I and I didn't want that for myself, so I so I had to. So I uh, I went through your curriculum. I read books. I prayed. Um, I couldn't have been more humble. I couldn't have been um, more um, rigid on a schedule of of. Uh, uh, going to bed at a certain time, getting up at a certain time, uh, you know, trying to exercise, not like some of the guys uh, within Shout that have gone on to uh, run marathons and stuff, but I, I tried to just get healthier. Uh, and then I would just build upon that. Um, and, and I just, I truly, without being selfish, I, I knew I had to get better, get healthier. And, and I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Well, I got to tell you, from the moment I've met you, you mentioned that you were humble. That humility has really, really come through. And I think it's hugely to your credit. Um, again, so often um, people that are in back up against the wall, like you were, um, are pretty stubborn. Um, I know I was a terribly arrogant drunk um, and, and going from a point of arrogance to a point of humility is that's a bridge too far for a lot of people. And so even when I first met you, Tom, I, I almost thought, God, is this guy like laying it on really hard? So, cause, cause I knew that you knew that I knew Mindy and I'm like, is he hoping that I give good reports to Mindy about he's saying all the right thing. And then just after a few weeks, I realized, no, no, he is like legit. This guy really, really, really wants this. And uh, the humility is natural, but I think it's, I just think it's one of the keys to why you guys are making it and you are where you are now. I love the fact that the Fleabag Motel, so actually getting your own apartment was an upgrade, um, you know, as opposed to just looking at it like I've got to, I'm going to get my own apartment and I got to move out of my house and this is awful. And well, at least I'm not there anymore. And uh, so the comparisons continue. You don't, you can compare your new situation to the, the Christmas, but I mean, uh, yeah, Christmas Eve and Christmas day away, away from the family is bad enough, but in that situation that you describe, um, just can't imagine how tough, but tons of credit to both of you for just staying the course. That's really great. So, so when did you start in the apartment again? Was it like January? Yes. Very end of January. Yeah. 27th. And then, and what was, I, did the lapse cycle, the, the slips, did they end pretty much immediately in the apartment or just before the apartment? Run me through that timeline again. They start, uh, well, the stopping uh, of the drinking started a little bit before the apartment and some of it maybe, uh, well, not maybe, some of it was um, a little bit of our, our middle daughter. She was moving back with us um, and I thought we could try to see if we can make it work one last chance guys and I won't I won't mess up and I talked to several people about what was going on with the apartment and they were frightened there there I am going to be all by myself no and no, no real accountability accountability I can do whatever I want um so yeah it, it started before that uh and then it was just you know I know what I have to do um and and I'm, I'm gonna have to do it and I haven't drank since you know that's a really important point so the apartment uh, uh, provides you with no accountability. And I think we've seen, we've all seen where that can go one of two ways. It can either go the way that it went for you, 
where you realize, you know, my time is running out. Uh, I am living alone, at least temporarily. Um, saving my family is, uh, you know, I'm on a very, very, very short leash. Or you can look at it like it's already over and I'm going to do whatever hell I want because there's nobody here watching me. So again, tons of credit to you. But but what we've seen over and over again is that this detachment and and in a lot of ways, I mean, I know I'm just using a cliche word, but that's what this is. You are your support system, um, emotional support system isn't there physically with you. You are detached from it. And in some cases it works and in some cases it doesn't, but it's the only thing with any chance of working because Mindy, none of the other stuff that you tried fire and brimstone, right? Um, uh, encouraging him to go to find his own recovery program. None of that worked. The actual physical separation, uh, the detachment was the first thing that worked when he, when he moved off into the apartment. I mean, I can, I kind of know what you're going to say. Cause I kind of remember but were you worried, hey, this could be a drink fest for him? Um, I didn't care. Oh. Uh, uh, it, if it became that, I had finally gotten to the point of that's his problem and I have a life to live. And I can't, I was I didn't babysit him anyway, but you know, we're empty nesters. We just hit it last year. And this is what our life was going to look like. I mean, no, that was not what I wanted. But I do credit echoes a lot, listening to everyone's stories and being able to vent in the Facebook group and get, you know, here's what I did, or here's, you know, remember detach heck i could be told to detach and i would turn around and fight with him anyway but um when he went to the apartment i was so relieved to be back in the home permanently and to have our kids come and go and let him of course come home and participate in the family but if he was going to drink then the choice was obvious that alcohol meant more and it was the only thing, you know, that outranked us and not, not maybe that he was choosing it because at that point it'd become an addiction, but I, I just didn't have the patience or the tolerance to help. Wow. What a, what a powerful thing to say, um, that we, we talk a lot about how, you know, you can't read about detachment or learn about it in a program like ours or like Al-Anon and then just do it. You have to get to the point where that's where you are. You'll know when you know, like we always say, and when your immediate answer to what happens if, uh, in the, the apartment becomes, you know, a, a fraternity basically, uh, that you didn't care that's legitimate. And that's what real detachment's about. And that's the only way, again, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but the only thing that sometimes works is that level of detachment. That's powerful. Uh, I want to back up. I just want to give a little bit of context. I love that we kind of jumped right in to the situation, but there's a little bit about your story that I think is, it's different than mine. I think it's different than a lot. The progression into addiction took place pretty rapidly. I mean, you guys had a healthy relationship with each other and with alcohol for a long time, right? I mean, were, when did you guys meet and was there alcohol involved in the courtship that, you know, let's go back to the beginning for a second. Yeah, we, uh, we, we met in, in college. Um, and, uh, we, I find I, it took me, um, I guess until right before Thanksgiving, Matt, to finally ask her out, we were in a class together. Um, and, um, she was like, like a university ambassador and I, and I had played soccer there and, and, and we, we would see one another, I guess I'm probably perhaps like walking around stalking her or is what it is. But um, I finally had enough courage to ask her out uh, or ask, ask her out or ask her if she could do uh, take notes from me. Cause I was going to my sister's wedding up in St. Louis. And um, we ended up just kind of going on a date from there. So the date was at two fraternity houses. And I thought, man, we're going to, I'm going to know everyone there. I'm going to be Mr. Popular. And, and neither one of us knew a soul. And we were walking around with a six pack mat of, of natural light. And um, 
so we uh, ended up just kind of dating from there. It was right around Thanksgiving. She didn't think I would be the type of person that would that would call her. We would reconnect her or anything like that. And and we did. And we dated kind of exclusively through college. Um, uh, stayed instead of going back to St. Louis, we stayed in, in Springfield. Got married. Uh, and started a family uh, right out of the gate. And uh, both of us were busy with jobs, kids, coaching, uh, work, and, and and you name it. And drinking just wasn't. Uh, even in the equation really anywhere other than maybe perhaps social drinking. If we had a cookout, uh, we might, you know, have some beer or some wine or something like that with, with really, really good friends. Nothing got out of hand. Nothing got uh, uh, too crazy. Uh, maybe once in what would be 28, 29 years or whatever, uh, a, um, a, a New Year's Eve um, celebration that we had. And it was after, a, you know, a horrific year where we had lost a, a baby that we said the hell with this year, uh, we're going to move forward. So we kind of uh, drank that year away, not uh, maliciously, but it's one of those things that just maybe got overserved. And we just had too much champagne. We both had a headache the next day. <laughs> but, but, that, but that was it. So yeah, then it just happened fast. It was uh, oh. yeah. But I, you know, I've never been a big drinker. So despite the fact that I just cooperated and walked around with natural light, I doubt I drank even one whole one. I don't even know if he drank his. Um, sure, there were college moments when he had drank too much with his fraternity brothers. Um, dumb things happened. You know, you chalk that up. I still would chalk that up to just early 20s stupidity. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, there were, I wouldn't call those warning signs by any means because, again, there are people a lot worse than him. Um, I've just never been a big drinker. I don't come from a family that drinks very much. So it's just never been part of my family. It was a part of his family. Um, it was very obvious I was different because I tend to not drink when there's a lot of drinking going on. But yeah, throughout our marriage, I wasn't worried about it. I'm sure I did nag about it sometimes. Do you really need to have that beer? But as the kids grew up, I wasn't... I was never worried about it. I mean, we didn't, of course he coached soccer, but I never worried about him drinking when he was out or anything with the kids. I mean, never. Um, and yes, we had a healthy marriage for the most part, but when you have underlying childhood stuff that you haven't addressed, it rears its head throughout the marriage and those were things we didn't understand and discuss. And that childhood stuff kept getting bigger throughout the marriage and bubbling up without me understanding. And so my reactions weren't supportive because I'm thinking, what, what is wrong with you? This, this is your life. This is your family. What, why are you, you know, so drawn to what you what you grew up with, you know, and there were definitely times I felt like we were coming second, but not to alcohol. Oh, that's so interesting. It, it, it is amazing how hard it is to shake that stuff until we've, we've worked through it. Um, no, I, I, I find, you know, without derailing the conversation and going into a lot of detail, I have a 18 year old son who we just dropped off at college earlier this week. And this, so this is when the wheels started to come off the wagon for me. Well, really all throughout his senior year. And so I am looking at him, I'm walking by and sniffing him. I'm listening, I'm expecting him to be me. And I know it's a little different than what you're talking about with the childhood stuff, but anything that we've been through in our adolescence, we then project onto our own family and expect it to be there. Or we're looking out for it or we're worried about it. And um, it's, it's made it really challenging challenging for me um to 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 watch my son go off to school knowing uh how i behaved when i was a freshman so uh cross our fingers and hope that that doesn't happen um but i but i totally understand and i, I sherry is gonna love when she listens to this because sherry doesn't listen to the podcast episodes that she's on she doesn't like to hear her own voice and hear what she says so she'll listen to this one since she's not on it and she is going to love to hear that you didn't finish that whole natural light. That was the, the beer of my fraternity too. I, there was a great deal on natural light at Indiana university. And that's all we drank. And, 
it was almost like bribery. I had to buy Labatt's blue for her to come over to the fraternity. She wouldn't touch. She called it piss water and wouldn't touch it. So um, she's going to be another way. You guys are like, she's going to like to know you didn't finish that one. That's uh, that, that's really good stuff. So the, the progression as it were, it happened only over just the past several years. Right. And, and so what was that like? You went from an occasional beer at a barbecue to hiding beers in the basement. Can you walk us through what happened there? Yeah, it's um, for, for sure. Cause we're in 2022 uh, with, with, with work uh, being just, it was just a nightmare uh, started in 2016. So uh, it, it, it's, you can easily say, hey, you know, hey, it started eh, five, six years ago, uh, but truth be told, uh, with the company that I was working for, you could see the handwriting on the wall. So I don't have a problem with rounding up saying, hey, some of it started 10 years earlier. And for me, it was just a way to uh, just a way to sleep. And uh, in full disclosure, uh, you know, um, I'm a salesperson, uh, Matt, and, uh, you know, I'm not an air traffic controller or, or a brain surgeon. I don't have that stressful of a job. And without being a martyr or a victim, which I love being, um, I, I, I say that uh, it, it was a stressful, and, and it was, but it was almost a perfect storm of, of just uh, without reconciling a lot of anything being uh, from my childhood or this job or having enough courage to, to, to do the right thing for myself uh, and my, my family. I put others first. I lost my, my mom died of Alzheimer's. Uh, the job was going terribly. Uh, the three kids um, were, were growing up and going to college. Our, uh, then my dad uh, gets, gets sick. Uh, we're taking care of him. Um, and, and the job is still there and it's still killing me. Um, and the drinking just started, uh, to not again to make excuses, uh, but the drinking just became more and more pronounced, more and more prevalent. And it was more than making sure that I stopped drinking at 11 o'clock. So it's out of my system, uh, by seven o'clock that next morning, because Matt, I can promise you, uh, that the drinking, uh, that the chills, uh, the withdrawal, all of it with alcohol, I was going through and, uh, I didn't have, uh, in my mind, the right resources available to say, I got to stop this before it kills me. Is there something else I can do? I need sleep or something for this um, depression, anxiety, whatever, something um, that might help that isn't alcohol and the alcohol uh, kept going and becoming what was a six pack was a 10, was 10, then 12, then whatever, five o'clock in the morning, it, it, it didn't matter. Um, and it was, um, it, it couldn't have been more destructive. Hindsight being 2020, um, I should have stopped that and just gotten and taken a melatonin or something else. But I, I knew enough, it's dangerously with the level of education that I had on this, I knew enough to never uh, deviate from just a light beer, um, to never jump into bourbon, scotch, whiskey, uh, 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 vodka, wine anything i just stayed there and i met matt i never even went and, and did an ipa because the alcohol level and those are a little bit greater i wanted to stay in control uh but yet uh i wanted to make sure that whatever i was doing which was drinking beer was enough just to get me to sleep yeah and what i want to say is he and i take no medications right now you know we're 53 we've never needed any medications for anything so his perception was this is this is light beer it's legal it's free and i don't need a prescription for it you know and we didn't understand so his withdrawals were bad and people won't believe us that it was only beer well you know it's still alcohol um his blood pressure was through the roof i mean he went through withdrawals three times last year so while I am thankful that he didn't ever drink anything stronger, it doesn't really matter. The behavior was still there um, as far as the anger. And I think that's what's so interesting is how similar the anger is amongst alcoholics. The things they say, you can almost predict it. It doesn't matter. All walks of life, they, they say the same things, which actually I found comforting it made me separate the alcoholic, the alcoholic from the person I married because otherwise those evil things he would say, that, that's not him. 
um, it was definitely the alcohol, but I never knew withdrawal from alcohol was deadly. And then when he was number one on the list in the ER and I still was walking around, I'm thinking he looks fine, but they're like, oh no, he's critical. He's coming in first. I'm like, what? And that was just his blood pressure, you know? Um, and, and maybe physically his body doesn't process it the same way. May, I, I don't know, you know, but we got to the point, the whites of his eyes were yellow. I, I mean, it was scary. It, it's fascinating. You know, heroin, uh, methamphetamine, all these hard drugs that people talk about. The one that you can die from the withdrawal symptoms of is alcohol, as opposed to, I mean, I'm sure the withdrawal is awful on heroin. Thank God I don't have any idea, but it can't kill you, it, you know, with the um, frequency. It's not as deadly as alcohol withdrawals are. So, and I think this is a really important point to this story because so many of us, myself included, I did drink hard alcohol, but I came up with solutions a number of times that included, I'm only going to drink light beer. This solves everything. And the only thing that did was make our recycling bin ridiculously full because <laughs> I was drinking as much, you know, light beer to get the same place as I was drinking vodka before. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, it, it, it still hits us and, and hits us incredibly hard. The other really important part of this discussion is, you know, it's, and I know I appreciate you saying that you're not trying to shift the blame and not trying to be a martyr, Tom. I appreciate that. But we do what we're taught to do, what we learn to do, right? I mean, in, in society and pop culture, you hear all the time, oh, you know, I had a stressful day, so I need a beer. Um, I'm having trouble sleeping, so I'm gonna have a drink. We hear all these messages and then we just do them. And you're right. You don't need a prescription. You don't need to talk to a doctor. It seems logical. And it's literally killing people and addicting, you know, 15 million um, alcoholic Americans is the estimate that gets thrown around a lot. Um, and it's because we think we're doing the right thing to get through stress, uh, work stress, family stress, all of it. And uh, uh, we have no idea that it's going to end up the way, the way it does. So I, I, I just think that part is really fascinating. Um, and I hope that we have, you know, listeners who are being, I don't hope that we have listeners that are being gaslit, but I know we have listeners that are being gaslit. And I hope those people can hear that. Uh, light beer is not a solution. If your problem is vodka, light beer is not the solution. Sobriety and recovery are the only solutions for sure. Yeah, they are, Matt. And, and I think you, you'd asked in an in, in in, in attempt at full disclosure and full transparency, transparency you asked about the, the, the progression and, and, and it got worse and then it just actually got even uh, more uh, involved, more dangerous, more reckless. Um, it was the, uh, I, I was going to, I was going to quit drinking because I was frightened that it was going to kill me. So uh, going through withdrawal, Mindy kind of nurses me. I, I'm, I'm frightened and uh, we stay up all night watching movies. I go three days, uh, Matt. So look at me. I go three days and I'm never going to drink again, man. And then here we go. Bam. Memorial Day weekend. Uh, drink, 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 drink. And hold on, Mindy. I got to run to the store. I'll be right back. Mindy, I got to run to Walmart. I'll be right back. Because what the hell? What do I need that bad? Well, it's stuff for that. We're going to plant flowers. We're going to do this. Matt, for crying out loud, I'm running to go get more beer and then hide it. This is the guy that's, remember, uh, three days earlier was on his deathbed, and uh, Mindy nurses me kind of back to health. Uh, I work it out. And then just the ultimate uh, betrayal uh, that Tuesday after Memorial Day, uh, me still impaired, me still intoxicated, uh, her uh, devastated uh, that I could do this uh, yet again. Um, and it led to um, just a, a domestic situation where uh, I dug my heels and I'm not going to leave. And she's begging me to leave, to get out of her space. Nope, 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 nope. And let me see if I can say another mean, hateful thing. And I hope uh, that a few of the listeners that you have on this program can at least uh, uh, not necessarily relate. But what happened was, yeah, I wouldn't leave. Mindy was left with no other choice, but to, to call the sheriffs, I was arrested, went to jail, and then went to a 30-day uh, rehab facility. Um, and all the while, um, Mindy's the victim, but she's in my corner. The children, other than our youngest, they were, uh, she was here. Uh, they're part of being the victims. 
Every one of them stood by me. They came uh, for the commencement. They wrote letters of encouragement. And then the relapses and the relapses uh, that we happened that happened during the fall, uh, after all the charges and everything's acquitted, everything's coming up rosy for me, uh, for me to just drink and lapse again was for them uh, just the ultimate uh, betrayal. And that was part of the, hump, the humility that I have that I can't blame anyone uh, for what happened other than myself. I mean, I can't blame uh, Mindy. You know, some of it is, Matt, you don't know what you don't know. But then when you're educated and you still go down that pattern, um, it was uh, reckless at, at, at best and very hurtful. I feel like it was important for you to work that story into this conversation because that is, for a person like myself and for you, that is as low as we can get um, going, going to jail like that. And I think that's just a testament to your humility uh, and, and the, the person that you are, that you wanted that included in this, Tom. I have to ask you, um, are you at all like, okay. So you said Memorial day. Uh, I grew up in Southern Indiana. We went to Indy 500 every year for Memorial day. So you want to talk about a trigger, go sit with 300,000 people that all have a can of suds in their hand and try not to drink. Um, are you conscious of the calendar as you are in, you know, you've been sober since January, you're over a half a year here. But the holidays are coming. Um, I know that you were more of a, you know, kind of solitary drink in the basement kind of guy, hide it kind of thing. But do the do the calendar events worry you at all? Do you are you worried that Thanksgiving and Christmas might be a trigger to drink? Yes, yes and no. And and I processed it a little bit myself. I talked with your group and, and I can't say enough about some of them without mentioning their names. I mean, if, if they listen, if they're part of it, there's been a few of them that have helped me through some very difficult moments, the, the childhood, the trauma and stuff like that. But we've talked about things and, and talking with you early on when I said, Matt, you know, what if I get to a point where I will be able to drink again? You said, man, there's no way uh, I, I'm not going to. Uh, and, and I would think that uh, early on with me that, that if Christ himself said, Tom, you're okay, you can drink, uh, I would say, man, thank goodness. Now I'm to the point that, 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 no, I don't. Now, going into the fall, I'm a little bit maybe not frightened, but I'm keenly aware of if Mindy and I uh, are, are working on the yard and raking leaves and burning leaves, um, there's something about all of that hitting the senses, the olfactory senses or whatever. And man, what a way to heighten that uh, experience by having a nice cold beer. Um, but, 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 you know, I know I'm to the point that, you know, I can't, we've done some things, uh, you know, the 4th of July that we had uh, and some of the guys that are on your program that have talked me through with some of the NAs and stuff like that, there, there are options out there uh, that do not include uh, drinking. So I'm aware that they're there. I'm aware that Thanksgiving, because uh, in the past it used to be a nice cocktail that our oldest would say, "Mom, let's try this," and they would, and, they'd, and the people would have fun with it. Uh, and now there's just other ways that we can do and be more creative and play games or, or, or binge watch or do whatever it is that just do not involve uh, a drinking. It's not. It's it's just no longer a fabric of of, of who I am. I would say coffee is starting to take the place of it in our house. <laughs> Tom was not a coffee drinker. Um, our oldest is. And then I started drinking it. For me, it was like an ode to my grandma who passed away. Different story. But we all drink coffee now um, a lot. And I like that's super fun because we can all do it it doesn't matter we can try different flavors you know some of us like it black some of us like cream and sugar um you know we get it from local roasters so that helps that's become a little habit amongst the five of us well we talk a lot about how you know you got to replace the void with something you can't just stop drinking and do nothing and certainly there are secondary addictions and there are healthy ones and there are unhealthy ones and there are borderline ones and um, harm reduction is a real thing. Um, the, you know, when people replace their alcohol addiction with marijuana, that scares the hell out of me because the brain chemistry can't repair. Same thing with sugar, really. When we replace alcohol addiction with a sugar addiction, that is really bad for our brain chemistry. Um, but hey, I love the fact that you guys are into your coffee. That's, that's great. Um, okay. So January 27th, I think is what you said was the start of the apartment. 
Correct. I can't help but notice you're sitting on the couch next to each other and you're back under the same roof. Um, how long were you in the apartment and how did the decision come about to come back to the family home? Uh, it was, I was there, Matt, uh, for six months. And, um, you know, timing is so important. Timing, I don't want to say timing is everything, but it was, uh, I, you know, I was coming, I was coming back to one of the reasons why I drank was, you know, the empty nest. And then all of a sudden I'm in the apartment and uh, everyone, for whatever reason, is kind of moving back in. So it creates chaos for Mindy. And I was like, man, it's a kind of chaos that I miss. Uh, I, I, but uh, I had to stay there. So uh, once the six months were up there, yes, I could have renewed it. Uh, but, uh, you know, the others are kind of getting moving on uh, to, to uh, you know, back to one in Wyoming, the other one uh, up into towards Kansas City or whatever. Uh, so it was just almost like the timing was was perfect. And the thing that I feared, uh, the empty part, because the Tom and Mindy story always involved three kids. And now the Tom and Mindy story is going to have to be rewritten that doesn't involve kids. And, it, and to be honest, yeah, it, it created a, it, an ounce of anxiety. But it's something that I'm looking forward to. And I, and I think Mindy is as well. And we're at a, a, a lot healthier place. Matt, I know this for sure, because there was a time during that six months uh, Mindy went down in the basement, in a basement that she thought uh, she had gone through. And sure enough, unfortunately, there was one of those um, 18 packs or whatever uh, of beer, the case, the, the, the empty box. Um, and she had nowhere to vent to other than perhaps maybe some of the girls within uh, Echoes. But I had to just sit there and listen to her. She, she has a voice that deserves to be heard. And I sat there and just listened to her uh, tell me the emotional triggers or whatever it was that it did for her it takes her to a dark place uh, so th that showed me and her that there's signs positive signs they were doing the right thing taking the right steps forward uh, to be healthier uh, towards each other that's great that's great so six months gave, gave us time to process and get better at processing so when feelings were hurt our tensions were high you know you could separate into physical places where you couldn't see each other and calm down and then talk rationally and we got a do-over on the empty nest you know it was supposed to hit last fall and we weren't healthy enough and now we're getting that chance again um and i thought about this last night i didn't even have the chance to be sad or think about the empty nest i just had to barrel through because of our situation and um now it's, I, I am sad, but it's a normal sad. Like I get the chance to actually, I know I use the word grieve a lot lately, but I get to grieve that in a good way that, okay, here we go. Now, you know, we really do have an empty nest this fall and we didn't get to, all I could do was be mad last fall and barrel through of, oh my gosh, I have to do this alone. And yeah, the kids got to go. This is normal. Um, and I'm glad I get to sit in it now and just feel it. I didn't have the chance to feel it last year. That's really fascinating. I have known that the kids moved home temporarily, but I, I never processed that. That That's really fascinating that that was, that was fortunate because you get the chance now as they move on again, more or less, to, to really have the normal human emotion that's not just controlled and hijacked by alcohol yeah. that's fascinating when when the six months was up mindy did you have any fear that what if i let him back in and what if we go back to the same old habits and i'm gonna have egg on my face i should have held out longer was any of that going through your head um no um you know, I probably felt that way in April, but he wasn't moving home then. Uh, once we got through 4th of July, um, even most of the summer or even June, it, you know, at this point, if he comes home and we land in the same spot, um, yeah, time for a new life. Or that's pretty harsh, I guess. Uh, I think now because he's been sober this long and he has a really good therapist, <laughs> um, one that I can talk to as well. 
I, I think now he's in a safer space that he can talk to me, not that I can help him, but he can be honest and I can listen. I, I'm not as black and white, although I can be. Um, I understand his pain better and some of what's underlying it. And I'm hoping that allows him to be more honest. And also able when he starts to tell me things for me to say, yeah, I can't, I can't do this. You, you need to find someone who can. Um, it's helped me just take a step out that I don't, he can't lean on me for everything. Um, because I can't relate to some of his story at all. I'll never be able to. And it's not fair to expect me. I can be understanding, but I'm never going to know how he feels. So no, and I'm not worried about having egg on my face because again, I love my friends at Echoes. Everybody's in there fighting the good fight. No matter what happens, there is no egg on your face. Um, our retreat this summer is always going to be one of the highlights to be with all those women um, that I've seen every week. I love you girls. <laughs> um, everyone's stories, their honesty, and that we got to know each other besides being spouses of alcoholics. Um, I love those friendships because you get to be 100% authentic and be no secrets. So no worries about egg on my face at all because it's addiction. And here we yeah. are. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there is no roadmap and the path to, to success or to healing, to recovery. It looks different for different things for different people, for sure. But I just want to run through real quickly the things that you guys did. Um, you know, you just talked about how Tom's got a great therapist. We talked earlier in the discussion about the underlying issues, the childhood stuff. And so not only are you trying to find sobriety, but you're working on the thing, one of the things that caused the problem you know, the work stress is, that's another big driver for a lot of us. Um, how has that gone, Tom? Has that, has the work stuff gotten better? Yeah, that has gotten a lot better. And some of it was, uh, you know, before, for whatever reason, um, I, I would put such a, a, a priority uh, on that um, to the detriment of me uh, and my family to the part uh, to the point to where now I just reconciled that uh, uh, whatever happens uh, happens and 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 we'll, we'll deal with it, Matt. If we can get through this past twelve months of the uh, the trauma that I put everyone through, if I can get through uh, what happened to me, uh, surely uh, I, I I've never not had a job. Uh, so I've just no I'm I'm not going to lose sleep over it anymore. This it's still the same uh environment that i'm in but it just doesn't rattle me any longer and and and, and I, can i say this to any of the listeners one of the big things again for me was uh, drinking for me i thought uh reduced the anxiety i look back on it now with a healthier mind um and, and, and a better focus uh, and it truly i promise god almighty it the drinking made it worse without a doubt and uh, my mind, my brain was, wasn't thinking properly. My mind, my body certainly wasn't. And, um, so the, the work and, and everything, it, it's just, it is what it is. It's Matt. It's a, it's a job crying out loud. Yeah. What a, what a, what a great perspective and a perspective that's only available to me in sobriety. It's gonna be okay. Uh, whatever happens, happens, that kind of a thing. And when we put, uh, our work stress in that box, it makes things, so much better. So the, the, the work-life balance is better. You're addressing the things that you need to address with the therapist. You both have support groups. And I think the fact that Mindy, that you have a support group is really, really important. It's, it's not enough just for the, for we, the alcoholic to get sober and to 
to do our recovery stuff, but there's recovery that has to happen for the loved ones as well. So there's no roadmap. There's no one size fits all, but man, you guys are doing all the things. And here we are, um, certainly a budding success story. Uh, just wish you the very, very best in uh, empty, empty nester 2.0, I guess the second, yeah. second okay. shot at empty nesterness, empty nesterness. I'm not sure that's a word. And, but listen, um, like I've said four times now or five times now, uh, Sherry and I just have so much in common with you. We hope, you know, empty nesters often travel and Denver's a nice place. I think, uh, you guys have a fair bit of experience with Colorado. We'd love to have you come and stay with us and, and hang out. And Tom, maybe you can come to one of my soccer practices and, and get a look and, and give me some thoughts on what you what you see in the team so um, would, would love it would love it and let me just say uh you know without a doubt unequivocally that uh, your program um that that we followed uh, the the people that are within there um um it's been just a huge catalyst and if i have any ounce of success that's measurable um it's in large part um to you, uh, to, to Sherry with Mindy, to you with me, Matt, to you, the group within uh, uh, Shout. It's uh, I can't, uh, I can't, I can live to be a thousand. I would never be able to thank you uh, sincerely. I would not be able to thank you enough. And well, we weren't paid to say that. <laughs> what? Yeah, th that is an amazing compliment. I will uh, graciously accept it, but now you're taking the humility thing too far because you guys have done a lot of work. And so impressed and so thankful to have you guys in our lives and thankful to have you come on the Intoxicated podcast and, and tell your story. Um, you know, we have to hit some pretty hard topics on this podcast. On this episode, we hit some pretty hard topics, but uh, let's not forget to celebrate the successes. And again, I, I don't want to make it sound like you're across some kind of imaginary finish line because that doesn't happen in six months, but you're certainly headed in a wonderful direction. And uh we just can't thank you enough for being here. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.